0: Well, we are going to break from the study that Pastor Tim was going to do today, um, and I'm going to bring a totally different message. It's very hard to know exactly where he's going and be able to f- totally follow where, where he's going, so we'll be going a little bit different direction this morning. Um, I wanted to introduce you to, uh, to somebody. His name is Matt Eamon. Here's a picture of Matt Eamon sitting on the hillside. Matt Eamon is an accountant. Believe it or not, he uh, grew up in New Jersey, went to school uh, in Alaska in accounting and uh, ended up being more than just an accountant. Matt Eamon is probably the best sharpshooter that this country has ever produced. These are just some of the accolades that Matt Eamon has. Um, He has won all kinds of medals and he has stood uh, in place of, of the United States in bringing out their very best when it comes to sharp shooting. Matt Eamon, in 2004, he was at the uh, Athens Olympics, um, and he was shooting, and he had already won one gold medal. He was in his, his second round of, of going for another medal, and he was killing the competition. Like, nobody was even close to Matt. Matt came down and he had his very last shot, his very last shot to take. And all he had to do, all he had to do was score average, an average score on his last shot, and he would take first place and he would win his second gold medal. That's like hitting the broadside of a barn for a guy like him, an average shot. Matt Eamon, he, he came and he pulled his gun up. Breathed out, placed his sight squarely on the target, and squeezed off. It was a direct hit. He hit the bullseye perfectly. But he didn't win gold. How is that possible? How, how is it possible that, that he, all he had to do was just to score average? He hit the target perfectly. And he didn't take gold. Matt Eamon made a rare but fatal mistake. When Matt Eamon pulled his gun up, he looked at the target of the person that was to the left of him. When he shot, he shot the target perfectly, but he shot in the wrong lane. He crossfired. Matt Eamon did not get a gold. He did not get a silver. He did not even get a bronze. He took eighth place. There's a lesson, I think, in that. You can live a great life. And yet, if you're hitting the wrong target, you can come up empty-handed. I was thinking about the game of life. I brought the game of life with me today. You remember this game? this is a fun game so much better than monopoly in some way i love monopoly but this one is a great game you you go through the board and and i'll just show you because there's all these cool pieces and stuff inside of it you each get a little car remember this anybody remember playing the game of life you each get a little car and you put your person in the car and then you start and and at the very beginning you have to make a decision of, of what type of occupation you're going to take uh or are you going to go to school? Are you going to go the educational route? And of course, those who go to educate themselves, they have to pay money in order to be able to go to get education. But typically, as you find out in the game, you start to earn more money as the game goes along. And of course, various different things happen. You, you spin the wheel and you move your guy. And, and there's, there's great highs and there's big lows in the game of life. One of the things I love about this is that it just kind of stands, if you will, for the American dream. You know, you have have a family, you, you get kids along the way, and the more kids you get, the more money you're supposed to get, but I'm not sure that works exactly that way, but as you go through it, right, You're trying to gain wealth. There are certain pitfalls that happen in in the game. But in the end, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, Let me, because you won't see it from the board, let me give you a a bigger picture. You're trying to reach retirement. And you have a choice. If you've made enough money through the game, you have the choice of either retiring at Countryside Acres, which you really don't want to be there, or Millionaire Mansion. And what's great about this game is this game does not deal like Monopoly with $1 bills. This game starts, the lowest, the lowest bill in this game is $10,000. In fact, they have a $500,000 bill in this game. So realistic, right? You know, it does say something about the American dream. Because I wonder how many of us we shoot for the end of the game and and it's all about where we end up. Do we end up in countryside acres really being the loser of the game or do you end up in millionaire mansion? What's your goal? What are you trying to reach? You know I kind of wonder if you're, if you're reaching for Millionaire Mansion, if you're not a little bit like Matt Eamon. May, you may have a really good life. You may have a lot of wonderful things for yourself. But friends, you may be aiming at the wrong target. If you're aiming at the wrong target, all you can do is hit the wrong target. God doesn't want us to be aiming at the wrong target. He's got a different place for us to aim, a different place that he wants us to put our our efforts. Um, this is one of those messages that you probably have heard before, and and you'll pick up a lot of the the same tones as, I like, I got that, I kind of understand this, but our problem is, is in the American mindset, we're constantly looking for mil- mil- millionaire mansion. That's constantly our drive. That's constantly what we're going back to. And so what we are going to do this morning is we're going to do what our phones need sometimes, what our computers need sometimes. We're going to do a hard reboot. We're going to step back out of our American mindset and place ourselves in the mindset that, that God would have for us. As his children, what is it what is it that our mission should be about? What is our target? What are we living for? What are we living for? Paul is going to give us some information on what we should be striving for. And and as believers, we have a totally different mindset than what the rest of the world looks like. Why? Because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not anymore your own. You have been bought with a price, therefore, you are now to glorify God with your body. It's not about you trying to make your own mansion. It's now about serving Him. That is now your goal. That is now what you are about. And so, if we don't do a hard reset, if we don't recalibrate... We will continue to follow the, the American mindset around with the rest of the world, which trying to go to millionaire manner, instead of focusing on that which God has for us. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is where we're going to land today, and we're really going to look at just two verses, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, and, and as we begin, I, I recognize that I'm dropping you right in the middle of the end of a chapter. And so in order to get you to understand where we're at, I'm going to kind of fill in a little bit of the past of what's happened as we head into our passage of Scripture today. The book of Colossians is written all about understanding that Jesus is over everything. Jesus is over everything everything and a great place for us to start this morning is verse 15 of colossians chapter one he says this he jesus is the image of the invisible god the firstborn the first ranking one that's the idea of all of creation for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself so that he himself will have will come to have first place in everything. It is Jesus' desire that he has first place in everything. That means he has first place in your life. And, and, and Jesus being who he is, he being the one who has made everything, he's over everything, he has the ability to tell storms to stop. And instantly they cease. He can tell animals, go here. He can tell mountains to rise and fall. He can do whatever he wants. And yet when it comes to you and I, he gives us the choice. He doesn't make us. Do whatever he could, but he doesn't. Will you follow him? Will you choose to do what he wants you to do uh, if If Jesus is the center of, of all things of the entire universe, the question is, is he the center of your life? Is doing what he asks you to do from the scripture today? Is that your purpose in life, or is it all about what you want? And going after that. Going after Millionaire Mansion. Is that your goal? Is that what you are about? Today we we are going to ask these questions and answer them. This is our outline for today. What are you here for? What are you on the earth for? Why do you do the things you do? And how do you accomplish the job that God gives you? That's really our outline today. That's where we're going. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Let's read our text together and we are going to answer this question, what am I here for? Verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Right off the bat, we will start to answer the what. What am I here for? You will not walk away today without knowing why you were on the planet today. You will get that answer today. And right off the bat, he says, we proclaim him. Now, if you have the English Standard Version today, you have a, di- a little bit different flip on the, on the arrangement of the words. And there's a reason for that. I actually like the English Standard Version on this because it puts him first. Now, we don't talk this way. We usually say, we proclaim him. That would make sense. But the English Standard Version is flipped, and it says, him we proclaim. Why? Because he's preeminent. Just as we just talked about, he has full authority and control over all things. And so it's him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. And it asks us the question do we really proclaim him? Do we really proclaim him? What is your life really about? Is it him we proclaim? You know, even in church life, we can miss the mark. Even in church life, we can do all kinds of things, all kinds of get-togethers, all, all kinds of activities. There's nothing wrong with activities. There's nothing wrong with fellowship. We're going to talk about that, actually, today. There, there's nothing wrong with, with doing things together. But the focus should always be about Him, Him. The focus should always be about Him. Otherwise, what? We're just another club. Friends, we are not a club. We are here because we have a designed purpose, and we are here because Him we proclaim. It's an interesting word, we. You do realize that when Paul is writing this, there are certain people that are involved That he's referring to who's the we is that really you and me well the context of this if you go back to Colossians chapter 1 verse 1 he says this Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother so you have Paul and you have Timothy that seem to be together in this and they are writing this so it could be that the we is referencing them but actually, you find out that there's actually quite a few more people that are involved with the possibility of being with this letter. Not that there's multiple people, but, but there is multiple people that are, that are here as Paul is writing this. Go over to chapter 4. Go over to chapter 4, and notice what he says in verse 7. He says, as to my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, he will bring you information. If you drop down to verse 9, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation. Aristarchus, in verse 10, we have also um, Barnabas' cousin, right, Mark, who that is John Mark. Barnabas' cousin was John Mark. We have him, he sends his greetings. He, wel- he says, when you come, welcome him. Then you also have this guy named Justice in verse 11. In verse 12, you have Epaphras. In verse 14, you have Luke and you have Demas. So so you got a lot of people that are kind of there that are involved. So you can kind of say, him, we collectively proclaim. But does that mean you and I? I had Keith read a certain passage of scripture today, I actually changed the the scripture reading today. Why? Because I wanted to go to the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, there are 11 that he is talking to there and he says to them, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Is that not their mission? Is it our mission? He ends with a very important phrase. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, that's a very important phrase. Because all of a sudden, it says, well, when is the end of the age? When Christ returns. Guess what? He hasn't returned yet. So that places that, not only to them, but also to us. And if I carry that thinking over, I can say, Him, we proclaim. Him, we proclaim. This is a mission now for us. We all should be proclaiming Him. This word proclaim is an interesting word, it is a compound word, uh, it is the Greek word katanagelo, kat, kat, negello. Kat, uh, it's a compound word, okay, if you were going to look this word up in the, in the Greek concordance, uh, it simply means to preach, to speak of, or to declare, but if you start to break these words down and understand their meanings, separate, it makes, it, it paints a totally different picture. Why? Because kata. Kata is a, is a term that's used all throughout Greek, all throughout the New Testament. It's, it's all over the place. It's used almost 500 times in the New Testament. And it's translated many different ways to try to adapt to the overall structure. Sometimes it means in Sometimes it means by, sometimes it means down, sometimes it means down from, sound, sometimes it means according to. But here's what's interesting about this word. It is a primary particle, and it's often referenced to a particular time and place. And that's very important. Time and place. Meaning that there is when this word is used, it's used in reference to Come in the house. Now, right? Now, come into the house. Well, that's a certain particular place. It's a certain particular time. That's how this word is often used. Now, the root of this other one, this proclaim, is is angelos. The root of the word is angelos. The word angelos is most often referenced angel in the Bible. But it's not always. And in the, when you sit here and you read this, it doesn't make much sense to say, obviously the angels would proclaim him, but would that be the we? No, probably not. And so it's often translated as well as messenger or someone carrying a message. And so if we break this down, what do we see? We see that you are being commissioned To give a message at a particular place and a particular time. You do realize that you are not here by chance. The people that are around you in your life are not there by chance. God has placed you at a particular time in history for a particular purpose. And that is to bring a message to them. And as we bring that message, it is important that we use the words that Jesus gives us, that we reference scripture, that we tell people about Jesus. There are some people that when it comes to this idea of evangelism, this idea of proclaiming him to other people, it's kind of like, well, I'm just going to let my life be an example. Anybody ever use that line before? My life is an example. There's nothing wrong with that. We should. Our life should be an example. But we also must use our words. We also have to proclaim. That's the idea here of this Greek word. We must proclaim. We must tell people about it. To just simply say, well, I'm just going to let my life be an example is, is like saying it's more important to breathe in than breathe out. Try that. Try just saying that breathing in is more important than breathing out. Doesn't work, does it? Because both are equally important. And in the same way, yes, we must live a life that is set apart, that, that looks like that of Christ, but not only that, we must declare, declare to others the truth of who he is. Um, Romans says it this way. Romans 10:14 How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed How will they believe in him who they have not heard And how will they hear without a preacher How will they preach unless they are sent Just as it is written How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good tidings Friends your purpose is to go out and to Him, proclaim. Him, we proclaim. It is what we are all about. So I have a question for you. Who are you proclaiming it to? I want you to think of somebody in your life right now that does not know Jesus. Has not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior when are you going to tell them about them? When are you going to share who Jesus is and proclaim to them your Savior? That gets a little bit like uncomfortable. Let me just ask you, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? What do they have to lose? Because that changes it, doesn't it? You don't have much to lose, but they have everything to lose if you don't share with them. He goes on here and he says we are to not only to share with them, but he ends up also saying here he he says that we are to present uh, we are to admonish every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. This is an interesting phrase. There are three main words that are used there. We have this word, um, admonish. Nobody likes that idea, right? To admonish something. Uh, I actually put it up here, I think. There you go, admonish. Uh, Neutheitio is the Greek word. Uh, There's teaching, which is dioxo, and wisdom, sophia. We have these three words that are played right here in the middle. And why is that significant? Well, I will tell you why it's significant, because it comes up in another place in the book of Colossians. Actually, these three words will end up in one other verse that is very significant for us as a church. We are called to admonish. That's not good. That's a warning. Think of it as a warning. We are called to teach. And we are called to do it with all wisdom, Sophia. How do we do that? Now, I'm just curious. Did anybody admonish you this morning when you came in? Hands? Come on. Anybody admonish you? Anybody warn you this morning? Teaching? Anybody teach you this morning? Yeah, you better raise your hand. Kids, come on! I sat there and... Yeah, brought... Brought it right down your throat. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Actually, all of you were admonished this morning. All of you were taught this morning. Did you know that? You were all warned. You were all taught today. It's not on there. Go to Colossians chapter 3. I want to show you the other place where it comes in. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says this let the word of christ richly dwell within you ready here we go with all sophia with all dioxo and admonishing one another and how are we going to do it we are going to do it with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs did you realize today that when you sat down or when you stood for singing today that you were actually admonishing one another, you were teaching one another, and Lord willing we picked songs that had wisdom to them? Do you ever realize the importance of singing and worship? You, you do realize that it's not like to kind of drum up an excitement level before the pastor comes on. You do realize that, right? Right? It's not just like like some incidentals that we have to get through before we start the important stuff. Can I just say that your singing, your worship, is just as important as this time right here. Most people don't think of it that way. See, most people, they walk into a church and they... They come in, they stand when they're supposed to stand, they sit when they're supposed to sit. They realize that there's some people singing around them. Some of you won't sing because you don't like the song. Don't like that song. But you do realize that by not singing, you're teaching. By not singing, you're you're not admonishing. For for those of our groups that are online today, that are watching right now, you were not admonished the same way that people were in this room, and you were certainly not teaching because you were not proclaiming the truths of God the way that people were in this room. But when we come in and when we come to worship, we come to teach, we come to admonish, we come to strengthen one another and encourage one another. You say, Well, I don't like that song. Well, last time I checked, worship wasn't about you anyway. But it certainly is about those around you. It certainly is about Him. When we come together, we sing, we encourage one another, we have our kids watch us, and they're watching the person down the row. Are they going to sing? Should I sing? well, I don't like this song either. What kind of teaching are we doing? What type of admonishing are we doing? These three words, it is no coincidence that when they come here in in Colossians chapter 1, they're repeated, the exact same words, almost the exact same phrase in Colossians chapter 3, because it, it brings us practically into our lap. We are to sing, worship God, and we do it as we teach and admonish one another, and we do it in wisdom. Think about how many songs that we have that are dedicated to strengthening you, to pointing out your your faults and your failures and your weaknesses, and to giving them your heart. That's what we are to be doing by the way on a separate note who do you have in your life that admonishes you I hate to be the pastor that's always like admonishing people Paul did it in Acts chapter 20 he, he says I admonish these people for three days as a pastor it's not fun to admonish people can I just tell you that it's necessary I must do it. But can I tell you, it would be a whole lot better for you to pick people in your life that will admonish you? That's not comfortable. But you know, if we are to grow up and mature, which we'll talk about here in a second, it probably means that you should have somebody who is spiritually mature, who has wisdom, who will admonish and will teach you. Can I encourage you? Go and find four people. Four people in your life. Don't just find them off the street. Find four people you can trust. Four people who know the word, who have wisdom. And say, will you admonish me when I need it? I give you freedom to admonish me when I need it. If you don't have anybody in your life that will admonish you, You will not grow to maturity. Why? Because all of us have faults. All of us have failures. All of us need to be admonished. And we need to have people in our lives. As the proverb says in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Find a good friend who will give you a wound every once in a while when you need it. Find four people in your life that are willing to do it. What are we here for? We are here to proclaim him and to teach and to admonish in all wisdom. Why? Why do you do what you do? Why should we do this? Notice what he says, Colossians chapter 2, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, the second part of verse 28. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. This is a purpose statement. Why do we proclaim? Why do we admonish? Why do we teach with all wisdom? So we may present every man complete in Christ. Interesting. Whenever you see something repeated over and over and over... It's usually pretty important. You notice what phrase is repeated over and over and over in that one verse? There is a repetition three times in one verse. Listen, I'll read the whole verse again for you. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Okay, so I emphasized it so you would get it. Every man. You know the old military slogan, no man left behind? When it comes to church, no man should be left behind. No man should be left behind. We are to present every man complete. What does that mean? What does it mean to be complete? That is the Greek word teleos. Telios. It means to be brought to an end Or finished. To be brought to an end or to be finished. It's it's translated, teleos, mature, complete, or wholeness. Do you have somebody in your life that is completing you? Maturing you? Helping you to grow into him? Ephesians Ephesians four thirteen and 15b says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, until we all attain to the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a teleos, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is head, even Christ. We are to continue to mature and grow into the image of that where we look like Christ. Are you growing? Are you maturing? Is what he's asking us to do in this. He he, he's going to give an illustration of the fact of a baby. He does this in Hebrews. In Hebrews, he 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 talks to us like there are times where you have. Babies, infants in your midst. But a baby, it'd be really wrong for a baby to stay a baby forever. Can you imagine a baby that never grew grew up? I almost said growed up. Then, Then I wouldn't be maturing at all either, right? Can you imagine a baby, an infant that never grew up? That would be wrong. And yet there are some of you in some of the church that the hebrews writer is writing he says for though by this time you ought to be teachers by the way that's a word that we've already seen you have need for someone to teach you you the elementary principles of the oracles of god for you've come to need milk and not solid food who needs milk the infant or the adult the infant The infant is the one who needs the milk. You should be on solid food. You should be a teacher by now. You should be proclaiming him. You should be helping others. And instead, you're still on the milk. For everyone who partakes only of the milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. But solid food is for the teleos. It's for the mature. Who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Dear friends, we are called to mature and no man is to be left behind. We are to encourage each other and help each other and push each other along so that we are becoming that of Christ and so he is seen. What does every Christian need in order to grow and mature in Christ? What do you need in order to grow and mature in Christ? You need somebody else. You need a friend who's going to come alongside of you, who's going to challenge you, and who's going to teach you and to do it with wisdom. You are not on an island. The church is not an island. It is a group. And together we grow and mature in our relationship with Christ. And the health of our church is really not necessarily just those who are leading, but those who are willing to take instruction from others. Those who are willing to have somebody else come alongside of them and say, let me help and encourage you. Do you recognize that in your own life? And do you have somebody that will come alongside and encourage you? the how how do you accomplish the job how do you accomplish the job notice what it says in verse 29 of colossians chapter 1 he says for this purpose for this purpose i also are also i labor striving according to his power which mightily works within me It's an interesting phrase because he says that he labors He's striving. He's laboring. Um, This word labor, it means to be tired, exhausted, and wearisome in your efforts. You mean we're supposed to be tired? Yep. Exhausted. Can I just tell you, you guys wear me out sometimes. Like seriously, I get exhausted. Exhausted. Dealing with people day in and day out. And you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. Paul says he labored. He talks about this idea of labor. Go, go with me to Second Corinthians. Stay here. Keep your finger here. But go with me to Second Corinthians. If you're in your Bible and you're looking for Second Corinthians and you're going, oh, where is that? If you found Colossians, go towards the bigger part. Kind of towards the beginning of the New Testament. Won't be too far up. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Look at verses 23 and we'll read through 28 together Colossians are first I'm sorry 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 through 28 Are they servants of Christ I speak as if insane I more so in far more laborers, there's our key word right there, and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardships through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern of all the churches." That's exhaustion. It's exhausting reading it. And the poor guy went through it all. That's Paul. He labored. He labored continuously trying to help the church and trying to proclaim him, to admonish people, to teach people. This is what Paul was all about. In Colossians, he says here, he says, not only did I labor, but I was striving. That word striving, it's a word which we understand in the English. It's the Greek word agonizomai, from which we get the English word agonize. I've labored over you. I've agonized over you. Some people say that a pastor's job is one day a week. Actually, it's just a morning. And then we're, no, I'm just kidding. Man, being in the ministry, serving people, reaching out to them, you do realize that this is your mission as well. You, you see, I didn't become a pastor just because like, I wanted to take this role and you guys get to sit back and kick your feet up. Why? Because I'm on my way to Millionaire Manor. You do realize that when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you now have a purpose. There's a reason that you do what you do. And guess what? How are you to do it? You're to do it laboring, striving, to the point of exhaustion. The, the word there to agonize is, is the idea of two Greek, it was used in the Olympics, of two Greek wrestlers going at it, and they are to the point of exhaustion as they battle together. And that's the idea. Are you exhausted? If you're not, you should be. You should be. You should be exhausted. You should be agonizing over each other. When we started our prayer time today, there are some people that I have been agonizing for in this room right now, praying for them. Because they are hurting? Do you agonize for one another? Do you have that much? Is it just about me, myself, and I? The blessed Trinity? Just about me. Or do you go before your Father in Heaven and you bow your knee to Him and you pray on behalf of others? Because you want them to grow in maturity. You want them to to be ready that when they get in front of the judgment seat of God, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And somehow he uses my prayers to accomplish that. I don't understand that, but I do it out of obedience. And we should agonize over it. That's what it means to be a family. When you walked into this room today, you walked into a family, a family who cares for one another, A family who proclaims to one another the greatness of who God is. A family who gives some constructive criticism at times, warns them, admonishes one another. And a family who will teach one another. Why? So that we grow to maturity in Christ. So that each man is mature and no one's left behind. May it not be said of this church that somebody is left behind. May we run to the aid of one another. May we agonize. May we labor. May we be exhausted. But don't worry. Because when you think you're going to run out of energy, you won't. I have yet to run out of energy. Laboring for this church. Notice what the rest of the text says. For this purpose I labor striving according to His power which mightily works within me. It is not by my power that I have to sit here and I have to make sure everything goes right. Because it is actually through His power that I gain the strength that I need to continue to labor. To continue to strive. Actually, this this word, power, you ready for this? We get another English word from it. It's the Greek word, energio. You ever think about the Energizer bunny? At some point, that Energizer bunny, banging his drum, he's going to stop. Because even though a Duracell battery is pretty good, it's going to stop eventually. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, who is energizing you, you will never run out of energy to do the things that God calls you to do. Never. So keep laboring, keep striving, but you're going to do it with His power. And guess what? When you do it with His power, you're also going to do it with His might. You're also going to do it with His might. That Greek word might is dunamis, from what we get the English word dynamite. Dynamite. It speaks of power, explosion, something that you can't comprehend. You have His energy. You, the Holy Spirit is giving you His energy to accomplish His work. And not only that, He is giving you His power. Don't ever think that you don't have the ability to accomplish, proclaiming him, admonishing him, teaching to one another. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have his power to accomplish the work that's before you. Yes, be exhausted. But no, you're not alone in it. You're not alone. Because he's with you. He is carrying you and he is helping you with it. Paul said numerous times where he talks about the fact that he's out and he is, he is preaching to the people that they may respond and he says, yet, even though I've labored, it is because of God's grace that I accomplish what I accomplish. Because it's the Holy Spirit working through me. It's not me. You do realize that when you say I can't do it, there is no such thing as I can't do it. When you have the energy and the power of the Holy Spirit behind you. You have all you need. You have all you need. So why don't we proclaim? Why don't we proclaim? I mean, i kind of a little sheepish. Don't really want to ruffle any feathers. I, I kind of... I just say in the Christian life at some at some point you walk by faith. You ever uh you ever been on a Segway before? They're kind of a scary thing. I mean, you you probably have seen them. They're these things on two wheels and you stand on it and you're supposed to keep your balance, right? Anybody know how you make the segue move? You got to lean. You got to lean into it. You're going to feel like you're going to fall over. Are you kidding me? That's the, Isn't that how it works in the Christian life? Trust him. Trust him. And he will allow you to accomplish great things. What would it look like? What would it look like to be in a church where people love each other the way that he calls us to, where people gently admonish one another? But they build each other up. They teach each other. They encourage one another. They go out of their way to... To help them, to edify them. What would it look like to be part of that church that that goes out into the world and proclaims him? That shares him with those around? Not sheepishly, not like, I I don't want to step on toes, but but to just say, do you know what Jesus Christ has done in my life? I want to share that with you. And to allow his Holy Spirit to take your energy, and it really be his energy, because it's his mission, and, and to strengthen you with something unexplainable, the dynamite of the Holy Spirit working through you. How would that change Emmanuel Bible Church. You say, I, I, "I'm not, I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure how I do that." You do realize that God has placed you, not me. He has placed you at a particular time and place in life to carry a message. You have certain people around you that I'll never have around me. But you have a message to give to them. You have something to proclaim to them. Lean into the Holy Spirit's power that he may use you. What do you have to lose? But what do they have to lose? Everything. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this family. Truly, it is a family. It is a a loving group, a group of unity. And yet, Lord, we know that all of us, there's not a single person in this room who, who doesn't have some rough edges. Lord, we all need people in our lives, people who will Who will help sand off some of the sharp edges, Lord? I pray, Lord, that we would be a group that is willing to receive constructive criticism. That we may be able to teach, not not so that so that we can still stay on the milk, but so that we can start to teach others, so that we can start to encourage others. Lord, may we may we understand that as a group, every member here is a minister. For you. In your economy, Lord, there is no such thing as retirement on millionaire mansion or countryside acres. We continue to strive, labor, knowing, Lord, that we are using your power and your authority to accomplish your work. Because, Lord, we are not our own, we have been bought with a price. And therefore, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to glorify yourself through our body. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.